the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. I am Seth Liebson. Thursday, January 16th, 2022, as we head into hour two of our daily three-hour tour. It's a delight to bring back one of my favorite uh, authors, columnists, thought leaders, Bethany Mandel. She's the editor of the children's book series, Heroes of Liberty. We'll talk about that in a moment. She's a uh, contributor to Deseret News, and um, you can find her on Twitter, one of the most active uh, Twitter accounts, Bethany Sean Dark, at Bethany Sean Dark wrote two columns here I want to talk to her about, one about student debt and then one about child rearing and raising. Bethany, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much for having me, Seth. I love the pins you fire on. I mean, you are doing, if if you didn't exist, about a few people do I say this, you're one of them. If you didn't exist, we'd have to invent you. You really are just doing amazing work on the culture and uh, politics and the bloody crossroads where they meet. So thank you. Um, Yes, you wrote a deeply personal and moving op-ed for Fox News on this whole debate about student loan forgiveness. It's titled Student Loans Forgiveness, a Slap in the Face to Millions. And before I want to go to the other side of that, which is, you know, concerns about child rearing and child raising right now, let's talk a little bit about this uh, student loan forgiveness debate. Tell the audience, take a minute or two if you want, tell the audience a little bit about your experience and where you're coming from on this debate. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, my mom died when I was 16 and, um, we had very little savings and, um, and she didn't really have that much of an insurance policy because she had been ill. And so when we, um, when she died, I lived with an aunt who, um, was not very helpful. And so I was kind of on my own and I decided um, I decided I wanted to go to the American University of Paris, um, and there was a very kind uh, woman in her in my admissions office in Paris who said, "This is not worth the amount of debt that you're taking out. Like all of these kids that are going to American University of Paris are like oligarchs. Right. <laughs> you are not an oligarch, darling." Right. right. And so, um, and so she recommended uh, Northeastern University in Boston. And I applied, and they gave me a very generous scholarship, and so I decided to go. And I was sitting in the financial aid workshop, and um, and I sort of did the math on, you know, the amount of debt that I would be in and what that repayment schedule would look like. And I realized, like, oh, my God, I can't afford this either. But no one in their office had the same courtesy that the woman in Paris did. <laughs> And so, um, and so I sort of did the math on, you know, my monthly repayment and what I think I could pay, um, what, what I think I would be making, you know, post-graduation if I'm bringing home, let's say, $35,000. And so I went up to the orientation leader in Northeastern and I said, I'd like to drop out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I cannot afford this. Because mm-hmm. um, I, didn't, I, I didn't have the option of moving home because I, my mom was, was deceased and my dad was uh, estranged. Mm-hmm. And so I instead 
um, on the spot applied for City College, which is basically like a community college in New York City. Mm-hmm. And based on my used to be a good answer, school, actually, once upon a time. But as, as with everything else, yeah, <laughs> right. The second law of thermodynamics, it goes to crap. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yep. No, it really. This did. is where and Irving so Crystal used to teach. Me. Yeah, no, this used to be a great place. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they accepted me on the spot, and um, and it was super cheap. It's like you know three thousand dollars a year or something crazy. And so um, and so I lived in a first floor apartment, and um, and I was a, a executive assistant for my friend's mom, which like the reality was like she would go on emotional shopping sprees, and then I would do all of her returns the next day. And, um, and I was broke. I was, I like, I, I cannot even describe how broke. I would often only have, you know, five, ten dollars to my name. And, uh, my apartment, I had no furniture. I only had a blow up mattress that never once stayed blown up, blown up the mm-hmm. whole time I owned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, cockroaches galore. It was horrible. <laughs> really can't underscore how bad it was. So that was my freshman year. And then I applied to transfer to Rutgers University, which is a public school in New Jersey. And I got, like, you know, fair amounts of loans and, and lots of grants, and all of the grants sort of increased on a year-to-year basis. And so the first year was really the only year I actually paid for. Um, and so I walked out of college in four years with a fraction of the debt that I would have taken out had I stayed at Northeastern. Sure, sure. And... Uh, and then, you I, know, I went to. I, I, I spent some time at Northeastern. I know what you're speaking of. I've been through yeah. that. Yeah, I went through it. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I, um, so then I, you know, repaid my my loans every month on time um, for ten years, and the payments were really reasonable. They were mm-hmm. about 150 hundred dollars a month. Yep. And they, meanwhile, they would have been in the eight nine hundred dollar range had I gone to Northeastern. Yep. And. Um, and you know, I, I turned down not one, but two dream schools to, to lower my debt. I worked 40 hours a week all through college while going to school full time. It was physically grueling beyond description. And then, you know, the first 10 years out of college are not the most financially comforting of your life. No, never. But right. I still pay my loans. Right. I still pay my loans every every month on time. I never once missed a payment. Mm-hmm. And so, out of the courtesy of their hearts, the last month the federal government wrote that last thirty eight dollar payment. Okay, like, Thank you right. for your, we'll take it. I'm, I'm sure we've given the your... feds more than that over time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and so, you like, you know, I see these stories about about loan forgiveness. You and people. Somebody sent me a message like, "I well, I had no idea the look." I'm like, if I knew an 18 year old with no adult supervision or input whatsoever that I could not afford this debt, you have no excuse. Right, right. I, I just I, I I don't I don't have sympathy. You took it out, and you're profiting from it. You're you're. And it doesn't really solve, I mean, it solves a temporary problem for people who were irresponsible, but it doesn't really solve the bigger problem, which is the unaffordability of college in the first place, right? It makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah, Because, you know, if colleges were on the hook for sort of, you know, people should, if if they made colleges at all accountable for the promises they made to students, that might actually do something, but all they're doing is just paying everyone for their financial irresponsibility. Incredible. Incredible. I have just a couple minutes with you. Can I spend a moment on your piece uh, about having children? Uh, you know, I have yeah. been blown away, 
blown away by the kinds of stuff you quote Ezra Klein. I've seen this everywhere. Ezra Klein in the New York Times writes, over the past few years, the one question I get more than any other that comes up in speeches, conversation, blah, 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 is should I have kids given the climate crisis they will face? That's the first question. (laughs) Second, should I have kids knowing they will contribute to the climate crisis? Bethany, we've lost our minds here. We've lost our minds. Take a couple moments if you don't mind. Who are these people that are talking to Ezra Klein about their reproduction? Right. Ezra, I'd like to have a conversation yeah. with you about my yeah. my reproduction. Yes, yes. You work for the New York Times. Yes, I want you to. Yes, right. I don't understand. Um, I talk about that with my husband and only my husband. Yeah, sometimes not should. even him. I know, but we're in the <laughs> mode where teachers have to talk about their sex lives. So why can't the New York Times right, reporters right. be giving advice on child rearing? I, you know. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. And so I, I wrote a column for Deseret that came out today, and I basically said, you know, and in no time in human history have we been guaranteed. And this is something that I think this generation of kids feels like they're entitled to. We've never been guaranteed. Prom- we've never been guaranteed promises of financial security or world stability. Like, think, and I, I use the example of the Holocaust. Think back to the displaced people, the displaced persons camp. Yeah, those refugee camps afterwards. I didn't know this. I've been to Yad Vashem, yeah. and this is a hell of a story. Go ahead. The, if you have a minute, go ahead. Rate, yeah, the, the birth rate was through the roof. Yeah. And it's because people wanted to sort of fight back against Hitler and say, this is the best way I can thumb my nose right. in what you try to do to the Jewish people. I'm going to have more Jewish babies. Yep. And it was a love of life that I think ultimately is what's lacking in, in, in our generation. There's so many reasons behind it. Uh, you know, society is, is not doing great. Um, but it's, I mean, the people who say, like, oh, it's the climate, it's this, it's, not, it, it's nonsense. It's, it's excuses that they can feel better about their choices when the reality is they don't have hope and love of life and they don't want to continue it and they want to live in the moment. Um, Things so that could people, take you know, place 60 years from now, maybe maybe are determining and more important than the life they can live, lead and create right now. I just that's the psychology we're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, So I, you know, I'm I'm in my backyard watching my kids eat pizza on a picnic bench, watching my five kids run around with my dog. Fantastic. And you don't know what they're missing. Fantastic. One last thing, if I can keep you from getting whiplash, taking you through these three things. Uh, Last third thing, because you're doing a great job on our culture, too. You are the editor at Heroes of Liberty, heroesofliberty.com. These are wonderful books for kids. You have books on Margaret Thatcher, Alexander Hamilton, Ronald Reagan. Your new one coming out, if I understand right, next month is on Mark Twain. You want to say a word about that, if I'm right? Yeah, so it's actually Douglas MacArthur and then Mark Twain. Okay, even better. Um, but it's, it's, it's fun because, you know, I talk a lot about these cultural issues and, you know, what the, the, the civilizational sadness, which is what Tim Carney calls it, of, of what's going on and and we're raising children without a, a sense of our values and a sense of our identity. And this is our way of trying to instill that in kids. And, and speaking sort of of the, you know, the personal responsibility, that's sort of the underlying message behind our book on Thomas Sowell, mm. is teaching kids about personal responsibility. And, mm. and hopefully, you know, this next generation of kids who are reading children's books about Thomas Sowell walk away with a sense of personal responsibility Absolutely. and the, the the love of working hard and, all these things, but, um, you know, there's so much out there that we need 
to shield our children from and to not expose them to. But there's also, we can only take so much. We no, have we to can curse darkness and we can light still. candles. You're lighting candles. Yes, right? yes, exactly. And so that's that's what we're hoping to do. You know, our motto is one story at a time. Good. American values one story at a time. Good. And we have lots of stories. Heroesofliberty.com. Yeah. Heroesofliberty.com. Folks, you're looking for books. for Don't go to the bookstore I was telling you about on Central, which is just disgusting. Go to heroesofliberty.com. Yeah. Bethany Mandel, wonderful. Heroes of Liberty, Desert News, and uh, to be followed on Twitter at Bethany Sean Dark. I love it. You're just the best. And thank so uh, much, I, I thank you for everything you do and the time you spend with us. Really appreciate you. Thank you. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. I mentioned um, having gone to Yad Vashem only because in Bethany's piece, she, it's a fascinating, I would urge you to read it, please do, her Deseret column, per, The Case for Having Children in a Dangerous World. She cites to some information you got at the, as she received at Yad Vashem on exactly what she was saying, the birth rate in those displaced persons camp. They wanted to deprive Hitler posthumously of his goal of killing Jews by making more. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. You don't need the heating, obviously, right now, but if you're in need of air conditioning services, a new system, a repair, a fix, you name it, or plumbing, Please call Cool Touch. I, I have a lot of friends that have used them. They love them as much as I do. I've used them for everything. I've used them over the course of a few different residences. They're just a great company. 17 years in business, A-plus rating with the BBB, run by Chris Funk. You hear him voice ads here sometimes. My gosh, he just built his company with the belief that an honest, reliable company wouldn't only succeed, but would succeed tremendously, that it would thrive. Um, if you have air conditioning problems right now or plumbing, yeah, give them a Give them a call. Give them a call by uh, checking them out at 623-734-1932. That's 623-734-1932 or cooltouchac.com, the website, cooltouchac.com. That's the better way to check them out. Sometimes my tongue moves faster than my brain. Sorry about that. Anyway, uh, welcome back, 602 Um. One of the things I uh, wanted to say is that we don't – we look at this economy right now. I was doing a bunch on it in the last hour. And as opposed to the other party when things go south on our watch, we're not cheering for our failure. We're not celebrating it because it's good for us politically. You don't see Republicans cheering this on, unlike, let's say, the Democrats – Oh, Jane Fonda, for example, with regard to COVID and how good it was for the Democrats. We don't do that. We don't engage in homicidal fantasy when Democrats or liberal activists get sick. The way they did with Donald Trump and COVID. Hillary Clinton's press secretary says, I hope he dies. Hope he dies. They're holding hearings on Violent rhetoric right now, exclusively from One Direction. We, ju we just don't come close to that measurement. We just don't come close to the standard that they have made themselves. But it's important that we know what's going on economically so that we don't get hoodwinked 
by the lies so that we don't get hoodwinked by the propaganda, so we don't get hoodwinked by the illusions the mainstream media hoist upon you. That kind of sounded like a Sebastian Gorka imitation, didn't it? (laughs) I can't really do him. A lot of people do. He's great. So we don't get distracted by the illusions, the corporate media. I can't do it. I won't. He's too good. But the folks at Issues and Insights are putting up a pretty important warning. Despite Biden saying such ridiculous things as he's created more jobs than any of his predecessors or that 90% fewer people died from COVID on his watch, just demonstrably false things. The Biden recession, according to the folks at Issues and Insights, and remember this is the Investor's Business Daily crowd, the Biden recession has arrived, they're telling us. Indicator after indicator shows activity plunging sharply in key parts of the economy. Now a widely followed indicator signals economic growth is likely to be zero in the current quarter. Zero after the first quarter's unexpected 1.4% decline. That looks like we're entering a recession, folks. A 1.4% decline followed by zero. The Fed, let's just review a few things. The Fed raised interest rates by three-fourths of a percentage point yesterday. That's the largest hike since 1994. Mortgage rates surged above 6%, the highest since 2008, a level that is likely to tank home sales and hit consumers' pocketbooks as hard as adjustable rate mortgages move upward along with interest rates. Producer prices soared at a 10.8% rate in May, an ominous sign of higher inflation for consumers down the road. That was followed by last week's 8.6 yearly CPI number, the highest since 1981. Retail sales fell by about three-tenths of a percent in May, but jumped 8.1% from a year earlier. A good sign? No, 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 because adjusted for CPI inflation, that growth translates to minus half a percentage point. Minus half a percentage point. Small business optimism is polled at its lowest ever. The National Federation of Independent Business is reporting that. It's key because small businesses are the number one employers in America. Usually first to hire in good times and first to fire in a slump. A little bit more when we come back. It's not good times, folks. It's not good times. We don't celebrate them. We want to kick the administration in the butt. That's what we want to do. Because we have, we, Americans are suffering in the meantime, and there is no political gain in this for us. None. We don't take political gains at the expense of our country or countrymen. We just want them to do the right thing and are begging them to do so. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602 portions of which are brought to you by the good folks at Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. If you missed my interview with Tom Jones yesterday, uh, he's running, uh, fueled by and sponsored by Balance of Nature, 76 marathons in 76 days, concluding um, his last marathon on July 4th in Utah to help commemorate and celebrate American and teach American history. I mean, when I say it's a great product, it is. There are also great people trying to help 
teach American history. You know, it's our worst subject. It's our, as, as Tom was saying, one of the problems with the lack uh, – you can hear it on 960thepatriot.com, our website, any, uh, my interview with him from yesterday. Is you can hear anything we do at 960thepatriot.com. But it's an interesting thing, teaching of American history, distorting of American history. Fifty percent of our high school seniors, 50 percent have an F in American history. I just just it's it's an astounding thing to think we go through this year in and year out. And, you know, when you don't know your history, as C.S. Lewis says, you are a prime subject for propaganda. Of course you are. People believe this nonsense because they don't know any better. They don't know anything. You know, I'm I'm pretty strong, I think, as strong as the next listener on our border crisis and illegal immigration and illegal aliens. But we're making aliens of our own citizens in our school system today. Anyway, Balance of Nature is trying to do something about that. Balanceofnature.com, their fruits and veggies. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. It's a great product. I use it every single day, 100% natural, third-party tested. Balanceofnature.com, discount code BALANCE. I was going to work with you on some new statistics. There's no reason to run the statistics on the economy further as I was doing, so I'm not going to do that. Otherwise, we end up in the territory of Chevy Chase playing Gerald Ford on Saturday Night Live, where he said it was my understanding. (laughs) It's my understanding that there would be no math. Right. (laughs) I certainly walked into this show the very first time I walked in here with that understanding. People who know me well know that. Math is not my strongest suit. But I did make reference to this, and I had occasion to think about it again. There's this article over at the Wall Street Journal I do want to talk with you about by Richard Vigilante uh, on why we need to remember what Reagan knew about economics. Maybe, too, we should remember what he knew about politics. It was in his final debate with Jimmy Carter that the election was sealed. And it was based on a line Ronald Reagan deployed, a line of his own thought, of a line of his own making. People like to revise the history of Ronald Reagan, that he was some kind of dunderhead. This was a man far from dunderheadedness. If he's a dunderhead, we need more of them. He wasn't. This was his conception. It's not with notes. It's not with a teleprompter. People may forget how great it worked. I don't want them to forget how useful it will be again for us because it's worse. It's worse than it was. This was how Reagan ended on October 28, 1980, his debate with Jimmy Carter. Next Tuesday, all of you will go to the polls who stand there in the polling place and make a decision. I think when you make that decision, it might be well if you would ask yourself, are you better off than you were four years ago? Is it easier for you to go and buy things in the stores than it was four years ago? Is there more or less unemployment in the country than there was four years ago? Is America as respected throughout the world as it was? Do you feel that our security is as safe, that we're as strong as we were four years ago. And if you answer all of those questions, yes, why then I think your choice is very obvious as to who you'll vote for. If you don't agree, 
if you don't think that this course that we've been on for the last four years is what you would like to see us follow for the next four, then I could suggest another choice that you have. It's eerie, isn't it? It's chilling a little bit. Chilling. All right, we'll go with uh, what Ronald Reagan could teach us when we come right back. Don't go away. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity, check out my friends at YReFi. InvestYReFi.com is their website. They're offering a no-load fixed interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a collateralized, secure portfolio. YReFi is a due diligence-approved firm. I know the guys who run it. They're local. You can go visit them. They won't give you a sales pitch. They'll just talk about what it is that they do. And I'm guessing it'll be as attractive to you as it was when they told me about it. InvestYRefi.com. They're in the business of helping people dig out a debt by actually paying off their debts. You can give them a call as well, 855-316-3087, 855-316-3087, or investyrefi.com. Invest, the letter Y, then com. What did Reagan understand about the economy that people don't get anymore? Aside from his unique ability to put it into a political perspective as he did in the audio I just played for you before the break, Richard Vigory is right. Uh, Richard Vigilante is writing in the uh, Wall Street Journal today. President Reagan understood something neither president, neither, excuse me, President Reagan understood something neither party grasps today: that the value of the dollar isn't a function of how many dollars government supplies, but of how many dollars people demand. Money is supplied insofar as it is demanded by people who can put it to good use. Inflation arises when people have less use for money, which is why stagnation comes with it. Reagan beat inflation not by reducing the official money supply, but by boosting demand for money. The great lesson of the Reagan era is that money supply is determined by investment opportunity. Absent those opportunities, no matter how much money the government gives to people, they will reject it and turn it into stuff. Here's the radicalism of Reagan. Orthodox economics attempts to use both monetary and fiscal policy to manipulate the availability of dollars. Reagan used both to increase the utility of dollars. He didn't do it alone. He didn't do it alone. In 1978, a bipartisan group in Congress turned President Carter's proposed increased capital gains tax rates into a 50 percent reduction down to 28 percent. Reagan won a further cut and got it down to 20%. Who led the charge on that in Congress? Our buddy Jack Kemp. The combination of high capital gains taxes and inflation had devastated real rates of return on investment for a decade. Cutting the capital gains rate might have done even more to boost the demand for money than Reagan's 25% cut in regular income tax rates. The impact of the Reagan reforms played out for decades because their effect wasn't a temporary boost in aggregate demand. What's kind of known as the sugar high, the widely despised sugar high, but an accumulating shift of capital to people who repeatedly demonstrated they could use it productively. The gradual but enduring impact of the Reagan policy raises even the tantalizing possibility that the 1982 recession 
might have been unnecessary. Given time, the tax cuts themselves might have conquered inflation without Paul Volcker's drastic tightening. Today, we're back to fighting inflation by letting the Fed strangle the economy. No leader from either party apparently understands what Reagan did. Joe Biden is out to lunch, and Reagan's city on the hill is dim, but could shine and shine brightly once again. All right. If we're not tired of the economics and if we're not tired of the culture, are we getting tired of this January 6th nonsense? Victor Davis Hanson has a great piece over at American Greatness on this. Congress should investigate fully the January 6th riot at the Capitol, he writes, and similar recent riots at iconic federal sites as well. It will not do that. The current committee is not bipartisan. Nancy Pelosi forbade Republican nominees selected by the House Minority Leader to serve on the committee. No speaker had ever before rejected the minority party's nominees to a select House committee. Kevin McCarthy suggested his people for the select committee. That was his right, his choice, and the precedent was you give the minority leader their nominees. Nancy scotched, Pelosi scotched all of them so that she could have a veneer of partisan credibility in the media by appointing two people who put the letter R behind their name, but hardly vote with the caucus and despised Donald Trump. Any willing minority Republican members had to vote to impeach Donald Trump was her criteria, was Nancy Pelosi's criteria. So she found two. A real investigation would have ignited argumentation, cross-examination, and disagreements, the sort of give-and-take for which congressional committees are famous. Anyone remember Army McCarthy? Joe McCarthy Army hearings? In contrast, the January 6th show trial features no dissenting views, none, not one. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime. That's what we've got here. That's what we've got. If Donald Trump weren't thinking about running for president or giving signals that he might, do you think we'd even be having this committee and these hearings? And again, the question I have to ask, what has been learned from impeachment to when the hearings kicked off a year ago to over the course of the past week? What has been learned? What proof has been offered or proffered connecting Donald Trump to the violence on January 6th at all? A scintilla. I was saying, I'll say it again. Richard Nixon, every historian knows, every historian will tell you, Richard Nixon did not dream up, did not order, did not create, did not cause the Watergate break in. His crime was covering it up after he found out. The investigation of Richard Nixon made him a co conspirator. He was a co-conspirator. Department of Justice charging a lot of people on January 6th. And the select committee is offering out a lot of subpoenas. Guess what? They have not named Donald Trump a co-conspirator. They have not. That means Richard Nixon was more attached to the Watergate break-in he did not order than Donald Trump to the violence on January 6th. Just put that in your pipe and smoke it a little bit. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. While the uh, select committee uh, investigating January 6th is uh, anything but bipartisan, there are other investigative bodies. And the U.S. Senate, Ted Cruz, yesterday, excuse me, the day before, two days ago, Ted Cruz, how much of this did you see on the media, was talking, was was, uh, holding a hearing with the FBI. Did you hear this audio? Do you think January 6th Select Committee, Nancy Pelosi's committee, is going to deal with any of this? Did you hear this? Listen to this. ...to the FBI. How many FBI agents or confidential informants actively participated in the events of January 6th? Sir, I'm sure you can appreciate that I can't go into the specifics of sources and methods. Uh, Did any FBI agents or confidential informants actively participate in the events of January 6th? Yes or no? Sir, I can't, I can't answer that. Did any FBI agents or confidential informants commit crimes of violence on January 6th? I can't answer that, sir. Did any FBI agents or FBI informants actively encourage and incite crimes of violence on January 6th? Sir, I can't answer that. Ms. Sadburn, who is Ray Epps? I'm aware of the individual, sir. Uh, I don't have the specific background to him. Well... There are a lot of people who are understandably very concerned about Mr. Epps. On the night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered. And there's video out there of him chanting, tomorrow, we need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, Fed, 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 Fed. Ms. Sandburn, was Ray Epps a Fed? Sir, I cannot answer that question. This is really quite incredible. And the reason it is so incredible is that reporter Matthew Rosenberg from the New York Times wrote, quote, there were a ton of FBI informants amongst the people who attacked the Capitol. Do you think this hearing is anything other than a Hollywood produced optics demonstration? designed for one political purpose and one political purpose only. You know, Nancy Pelosi was at a RuPaul TV show the other day, two days ago. And um, it's just interesting to me what the Democrats are doing while Rome burns. Leo Strauss might say they're excused by the fact that they are unaware that they are fiddling and they are unaware that Rome is burning. I don't think most Americans are. It's a party that's out of touch. It's a party that's out to lunch. And it's a party that wants you out of touch. Stay in touch. To do that, stay right here. I'll do my monologue when we come right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.